Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Enterprising Families. And on this episode, I have Chris Putman-Walkley, and she is going to be sharing with us about her new book, which is Delusional Altruism. It's a tongue twister there for me. And (laughs) it's mostly focusing on the amazing work she's done, she's doing in philanthropy. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. And I would like you to just share with my audience what it is that you do so that they get an idea of who Chris is, what Chris does, and why delusional altruism. Yes, so I am a philanthropy advisor. So I work with uh, high net worth families, family businesses, Fortune 500 companies, foundations, and really helping them to achieve the clarity and the impact and the joy that they want to experience with their giving. So it's all about helping them to give, to have a greater impact on whatever issue or community they care about. And so I um, do that through being a trusted advisor and sounding board to them and coach, as well as I do a lot of strategy development and strategy implementation. Okay. And tell us, what is delusional altruism? Besides a tongue twister. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I wrote the book. The full title is Delusional Altruism, Why Philanthropists Fail Mm -hmm. to Achieve Change Mm -hmm. and What They Can Do to Transform Their Giving. Mm -hmm. And really it came about after advising, you know, all kinds of philanthropists over the past 20 years and recognizing that, you know, what they shared in common was their genuine desire to help others, to make a difference, to change the world, but they were getting in their own way Mm -hmm. and often didn't realize it. And by getting in their own way, they were preventing themselves from having the impact that they were seeking. And so in the book, I try to explain how this happens. And there's seven ways that delusional altruism manifests itself. Uh, For all of us, really. And then uh, the second half of the book is all about transformational giving, which is really about, you know, how do we create lasting change Mm -hmm. by, in part, transforming ourselves and how we give, because I really believe that how we give matters. Mm. And I'm just thinking about the topic of how we give and philanthropy. I think everybody has a general understanding of what philanthropy is or a definition. And most of it, I think the definition is based on uh, a belief system that is not necessarily true. And I think we've had this discussion before where Mm -hmm. we've said, maybe I should let you explain. What is philanthropy and who should engage in philanthropy? Yes. Well, you know, philanthropy is one of those terms that we think is reserved for only the super rich. Mm -hmm. But when we really look at the definition, I think it really applies to all of us. Um, And it's really people who, um, you know, genuinely desire to to change the world, who are focused on 
the betterment of humanity mm-hmm. and who give of themselves, right? That could be giving your financial resources. It could be giving your time, your talent, your knowledge, your connections. There's volunteering. There's all kinds of ways that we can help help others. And I think when we look at the definition that way, we recognize, you know, probably most of us are philanthropists mm-hmm. in how we give to help our families, to help our communities, um, to help our neighbors, as well as, you know, to help people we've never met and probably never will meet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think this year, 2020, I think 2020 is going to be a buzzword for quite a while because it's a de- it has defied odds on so many levels, but mostly with the healthcare crisis that has been Corona. We have seen so many communities, people, and situations arising from COVID-19 and the impact thereof. And I think this year has been a very important year when it comes to philanthropy. What do you think is the most important thing philanthropists should be doing during this crisis? Well, I think the most important thing they should be doing is reaching out and offering ways that they can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, in any crisis, be it a global pandemic or a natural disaster or whatever it might be, a terrorist attack, you know, I think funders respond in a, a variety of ways. And one of them, unfortunately, is going into hiding, you know, either because they themselves are so overwhelmed by the crisis, you know, and certainly this pandemic, I mean, there isn't a human being on the planet that hasn't been impacted in some form by this uh, pandemic. Mm. Uh, but, you know, a lot of donors and philanthropists will literally go into hiding, like you, you can't find them, you, you don't know where they are, they're not doing anything. Uh, in fact, there was a study um, by an organization called WealthX in July of 2020 that said that of the world's billionaires, they were surveying billionaires around the world. And at that point, 10% of them had given or pledged to give in response to COVID, which to me means 90% of them had not. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that says there's a lot of billionaires that are in hiding, you know, they're not giving. And then there's a lot of all others that will take a wait and see approach where they will and we've seen this with COVID, you know, literally like in March or April when this thing was really um, hitting, uh, they said, well, let's just wait and see how this whole pandemic thing shakes out and like, mm-hmm. we'll, you know, come back and reconvene in the fall or the winter mm. uh, and see what's happened. And I think the most effective phil- philanthropists uh, and what they should be doing right now are giving, you know, and finding ways to really seize this opportunity Uh, sees this crazy time as an opportunity to change how they give. And so by that, I mean, you know, a lot of donors are giving more than they normally would have this year. Mm -hmm. Many foundations are doubling their grant making budget, for example, or individuals and businesses are giving more. They're also, um, you know, reaching out to the nonprofit organizations and communities that they support and like literally picking up the phone and saying, I want to help you, like, let me know what you need and let me get those resources to you quickly and in ways that don't add a lot of burden and cumbersome restrictions and lengthy application processes. Like, let's get the money to you quickly mm-hmm. and, and, and really trusting those nonprofit organizations to do the work that they feel they need to do. And a, a lot of that has to do with really offering unrestricted support, mm-hmm. often called general operating support, which is basically like, we trust you to, mm-hmm. to know what's happening in your community, 
to know how this pandemic is affecting your organization, affecting the people you're serving. So here's a grant or funding for you to navigate this crisis mm -hmm. and you can figure out the best way to allocate that funding as opposed to what typically happens with funders is, you know, they say you can only use it for this exact program or you mm -hmm. can fund, fund this program, but we're not going to pay for the staff or, you know, whatever it is. So um, uh, I think, you know, flexibility and agility are, you know, key words that we all need to adhere to during this pandemic. I'm just thinking about what you're saying. And then I'm thinking of it in reference to, they, there's obviously going to be that one person who says, but you know what, I'm a small family business and I can't really give a grant and I can't really give um, any, any big chunk of, of money as a donation. How do you think, or how should smaller entities or philanthropists who's, who do, give, even in the small way that they do give, look at actively giving and how can they identify ways that they can actively give? And, and then I'll ask my next question after that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a great question. And obviously, you know, philanthropy and giving is all, you know, culturally defined. So mm -hmm. every, you know, kind of um, country has its own cultural context, uh, what, what, what it means to be philanthropic and to me, to be generous. Um, but I'll say this, I'll say, you know, regardless of how much money you have, if it's, mm -hmm. you know, a hundred dollars or a hundred billion dollars, mm -hmm. um, you are more than money. Right. And so there's a lot more that you can give. So just, mm -hmm. you know, take money out of the entire equation for a second and think about, you know, what else do you or your family or your business have to offer and I bet it's a lot, you know, if you literally took an hour and just brainstormed all it is, um, it probably is a lot. So these are things like knowledge, you know, knowledge about maybe your community or knowledge about, you know, um, supply chain or knowledge about strategy, you know, whatever it might be, that could be helpful to an organization. Or uh, it could be the connections that you have and the, like the people that you know and the, and the introductions that you could make connecting people to each other to make sure that certain community members or NGO leaders have access to the kinds of people they need to be talking to. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what the situation is where you are, but you know, in the United States, there were, um, the federal government offered loans to uh, nonprofit organizations and it was referred to as the payroll protection program to support, mm -hmm. to, to be able to hire back people that you had laid off. And, you know, everyone was kind of scrambling to figure out what this means and should I apply and how do I apply? And it really helped if you had a relationship with a banker, you know, with somebody, an actual human being at the bank, mm -hmm. as opposed to a phone number to call. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so simply as a business, you probably have a relationship perhaps with a bank and introducing a, an organization that you support to your banker in this example would have been tremendously helpful mm. and cost you nothing and taken, you know, all of 10 minutes or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so you think about all that, all that you bring as well as, you know, the ways that you informally give to your family, to people in your community, to the, you know, family members of your employees, whatever it might be. And then, and then if you do look at the money side, you know, um, 
you know, not it's rare that we all have enough money to give away to 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 solve all the problems, right? And I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of power in collaboration mm-hmm. and pooling resources together with maybe other businesses, other families, other foundations. And there are a lot of um, rapid response funds that have been created in response to COVID. In fact, around the world, I think there's something like 935 of them. Wow. Um, and so these are, you know, in any, in various communities, a lot of different people and organizations coming together and pooling their funds and then deciding as a community, like what are the most important needs and how do we make sure we get funding to the different kinds of organizations. So people that are helping the homeless, healthcare, people surviving domestic violence, you know, getting food to people, um, making sure people have uh, PPE, all these things. And it, 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 there's a lot of benefit. One is, you know, you can contribute whatever you have to a much bigger whole mm-hmm. and make a big difference through this collaborative effort. But also it coordinates the resources efficiently across the community and it prevents like 50 donors, you know, calling up the same one nonprofit organization, the food pantry or the Mm -hmm. food bank trying to help. And like everybody ignoring, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the health clinic because no one thought of the health clinic. And so it helps to coordinate all of that. And so that would be a way um, to look at, you know, what's happening in your community in ways that you can participate in in one of those rapid response funds. And just um, thinking of what you're saying, obviously, when people want to help, the biggest fear is that there's going to be abuse of funds and that uh, abuse of funds or even abuse of knowledge and connections. And obviously, in every industry, in every space, there are those people who have that exercise integrity and will do the right thing. And um, you can't account for every single person that you will get those people who don't exercise integrity and will then do the wrong thing and um, put organizations sometimes that are doing the right thing into disrepute. How can um, advisors that work with family businesses or or philanthropists. So I'm talking about the wealth advisors, estate planners, family offices, or even um, in family businesses, you get um, the lawyers here and there and the accountants, or even um, the staff, lower level staff that work with the family business. How can they help increase um, their clients, their bosses, their uh, principles, philanthropic impact? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, because those individuals have a lot of opportunity uh, and influence because, and, and, and the opportunity really is to ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, you know, raising the issue of giving in philanthropy with your clients for one thing, but I think more importantly, um, you know, focusing on the transformation rather than the transaction. And mm-hmm. so what I mean by that is, you know, too often in those instances, the ways that advisors will help their client is to say, well, here's an organization you support. I'll handle getting the check, you know, the payment, the grant made to them. And, you know, now you're done. So it's the, tra- they're focusing on the transaction, mm-hmm. which isn't, you know, bad because if it's a good organization, they need money, that's good. Mm-hmm. But I think what's more important is to focus on the transformation and really start with the right questions. And I write about these in my book, Delusional Altruism, uh, 
So it's things like, you know, why, like, why do you as a family business want to be philanthropic? Mm-hmm. Um, what is, you know, kind of like, what is your purpose? And then, so there's why questions like, why do you want to do this? But also what questions like, what are you seeking to accomplish with your philanthropy? Um, and what kind of family philanthropic family business do you want to be a year from now or five years from now? Mm-hmm. Uh, where are you today? And then, you know, what are the most important things that will help you get from where you are today to where you want to be? Mm-hmm. But I think really helping, taking the time to help family businesses think about, you know, what's the, what's the purpose of their giving? Um, and what kind of issues do they care about? And what does that mean for them over the long term? So is, mm-hmm. is part of philanthropy helping to engage the next generation, not just in the business, but also in, you know, the family's philanthropy? Or is it, you know, how do we, maybe you're, you know, intending to grow your business to have an exit strategy where you sell your business and how might philanthropy help support, advance the purpose of your company mm-hmm. and also kind of the brand and awareness of your company. Mm-hmm. So just getting clear on all of those, whatever, whatever your goals are, getting clear on them and only then figuring out what's the right way to do that. So the right way to do that might not be supporting whatever random organization your attorney suggested you support or whoever just happened to ask you for money. Mm-hmm. You then might get clear on, wow, well, what's really important to us is, um, I don't know, having mentors uh, mm-hmm. and having other young people have a mentor because I had a mentor and that really was a difference and it saved my life and allowed me to recognize that I could be an entrepreneur or whatever, you know, whatever your issue might be you know, getting clarity and then thinking about how do I engage my employees and my family um, in that giving. And so again, and all of that could be applied to COVID really, because whatever issue or cause you care about, be it the theater or arts education or, uh, you know, um, access to clean water, mm-hmm. what anything has been impacted by COVID, right? And so you can also then think about, well, how have those needs changed and how do I, how can we respond mm-hmm. in ways that are helpful to the communities we're trying to support? And just from your answer there, I think I'm just seeing, I'm, I'm painting a picture in my mind here that it's obviously very important to, when you start philanthropism in any format, to have a strategy because when you have a strategy, it becomes in turn impactful. It's a long-term giving, even if it's um, you start off by just connecting people or you start off by d- donating your time and then you then gravitate. And you might even, I'm just guessworking here, you might even as part of your strategy, graduate yourself from one form of giving to the next form to the next form until you feel completely comfortable with a bigger form of giving and bigger form for most people in their minds is signing that check that (laughs) that goes there and will help somebody and will change a life so what are your thoughts on planning out philanthropy and 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 staggering it into different levels until you get to a comfort level that Mm -hmm. you will you can maintain over a period of time or you can revert back to certain other levels with with new organizations you start to engage 
Yeah, so that's great. Um, I think, so first off, I think um, strategy is super important Mm -hmm. and it's especially important during turbulent times that we're in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we always need to start where we're at, right? So wherever you're currently at as a person, donor, business owner, family, you know, I like to think about the next 12 months. Um, You know, I think this too often we, we think about strategic planning, I think, it, 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 it turns into this very lengthy process that takes mm-hmm. a year and we do some research and blah, 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 have too many meetings. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that if this pandemic has shown us anything, it's the futility of spending a year to create a five-year plan because, you know, the, by the time you come up with your plan, the world will have changed and your plan will be outdated. So, so mm-hmm. instead, I really advise people to think about strategy you know, like for the next 12 months, you know, again, what do you want to accomplish with your, with, with your giving or your philanthropy in the next 12 months? Where are you today? Like mm-hmm. literally where you are today could be like, we don't give anything. We've never thought about this before. Right. Which mm-hmm. is fine. So what do we need? What are the three things we need to do to get us from where we are today to where we want to be? And so where mm-hmm. we want to be might be, I don't know, you know, like we want to be have chosen a particular cause in our community that we want to support Mm -hmm. and where we are today is we have never thought about this before. And so, you know, the three things you might want to focus on are, well, how do we like learn about community needs? Mm -hmm. Number one, number two, how do let, you know, um, how do we engage our employees in in understanding kind of the issues that they care about and what's meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. And number three might be, let's talk to other business leaders and funders and donors that we know and get their advice on how we should approach this. And so by, you know, three months, six months, a year from now, we have a much better handle. We've chosen this one issue we want to focus on and we have a much better handle on what it means to be philanthropic. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's, you know, those could be major steps or baby steps depending on your starting place, but it's always about, you know, ha- having clarity and where you're headed and how, what's the best way for you to get there and then holding yourselves accountable to that. So not picking 65 things to work on, but picking three or four things to work on, mm-hmm. actually assigning people to be responsible, accountable for each of those priority mm-hmm. areas. And then, you know, kind of checking in with them regularly. Mm. In fact, I just, um, your listeners might be interested. I just finished this article. It's called eight things every philanthropist can do to change the world. Mm-hmm. Even when the world keeps changing. Wow. And it's literally just like, I got it back from the graphic designer. It's not on my website yet, but if anyone would like a copy, mm-hmm. you could email me at Chris. That's Chris with a K K R I S at Putnam consulting.com. I'd be happy to email a copy, but it, it really gets at the whole notion of, you know, right now it can feel like planning is impossible, right? How do I plan for the future? The future is so unknown. Every day something new develops, you know, it, it's crazy. Um, these times are very turbulent. There's all this disruption. Mm-hmm. But I think the reality is, you know, the future is no more uncertain today than it was last week or last decade or last century, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what's normal is disruption (laughs) and volatility. And so that's just life, right? And things will happen and change. And I think it's far better, and I write about this in the article, far better for people to think about, you know, create a a plan that's good enough for now based on the information you currently have available 
begin implementing it immediately and then use it for as long as it makes sense mm -hmm. and then change it rapidly as conditions change mm -hmm. and assume that they're going to change, you know, like that's okay. Mm -hmm. Just maintain that agility and flexibility and that, cause it gives you something to move on and it gives, you know, you something to kind of rally your company or your family around. You can all focus on heading in the same direction uh, and trying to build momentum and then plan intervals, you know, literally like every quarter or every two months or something where you check in mm -hmm. and ask yourself, like, what we're making progress as have things changed? Do we need to change our plan and then just change it, you know? So, but then you're all, but the value is you always have this kind of decision-making framework mm -hmm. that you're using, that you're all in agreement upon. That's, that's, helping you go in the direction where you actually want to go. Mm -hmm. And then my last question would be focused on the ever pending and ever hanging question about integrating mixed gens into philanthropy and into philanthropic giving. When is it early enough to start? And how, what are the small steps we can take especially if you're a small family business as compared, uh, I think even if you're a bigger family business or family of wealth, the, the steps are pretty much the same. Yeah. I think it's honestly never too early to start involving your children. I mean, I have a colleague who's a community organizer and a single mom of three children. And, you know, she would take her kids to meetings, you know, in the evenings where they were, you know, doing organizing work really because she had to, like she had no childcare, but, you know, think of the learning that those kids got from that experience of mm -hmm. the importance of volunteering, of, of giving back, of using your life to help others, uh, making a difference, literally like how you organize a meeting uh, and how you discuss and present yourself and all, you know, how you get things done. I'm sure that the kids weren't too thrilled at the time, but you know, those kinds of life experiences I think are really important. And so I think, you know, obviously at age appropriate levels, I mean, I have 10 year old twins, mm. so I know that there's things that are appropriate at that age and inappropriate at that age, mm -hmm. but they can certainly, uh, you know, give to help others. They can, sh you know, teaching kids, quite frankly, sharing. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, if you have, if your children have resources, like if they're given money for a birthday or something, encouraging them to, you know, save some, have some that they can spend and some that they donate, use to donate to others. There's lots of different strategies and approaches. Um, I do think, you know, what's important, a couple of things I think are really important to remember. One is, you know, every family is different mm -hmm. and every family business is unique. And so you really need to create something that works for you and your family. Mm -hmm. um, and secondly, you know, family is the most important thing. And so I think always, you know, your one's focus should be family first. Mm -hmm. um, and then third, you know, just recognizing that everybody has, you know, their own perspectives mm -hmm. and beliefs and causes and ways in which they want to be involved. And I think creating opportunities for all family members to engage in giving in ways that are meaningful to them, mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, the father who it's his business and it's kind of like his way or the highway, like dictating the only way that this can be done. 
again, every family is different and there's, you know, family culture and whatnot, but I think, um, you know, those kinds of approaches can lead to resentment and really, you know, aren't as don't make giving as fulfilling for everybody. I think we need to keep our eyes on the, on the prize, on the long game and think about how do we not just, you know, grow great human beings with our children Mm -hmm. uh, and ensure that they become loving and successful and productive adults, but how do we kind of grow a giving and generosity um, uh, culture Mm. so that that comes naturally to them and, and that over time, and, you know, even after we are no longer around our children and their children are continuing to give back and help others. And so I think ways that we can kind of instill uh, uh, meaningful experiences and opportunities for them uh, early on are very helpful. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining me today and for sharing with me and my audience about the different ways that we can contribute to making a difference and being impactful in our giving. And as you said, um, and we both agreed that giving doesn't have to mean that you have to write a check all the time. It starts with the small things. It's any way that you can give outside yourself and you it's either time, it's resources, introductions, and and at times it has to be money, but it, and sometimes it can be just products that your company gives or that your family has. So there's so many different ways of giving. And um, when we give, we are just making sure that there are other people who are less fortunate and going through issues or going through situations that they can't help themselves and we're helping to alleviate their pain. Is there any parting words that you would like to share with my audience um, with regards to philanthropy and getting on the path of being an impactful giver? Yeah, I would say um, really think about uh, think about the ways that you give and the impact and how you can change um, how you give Mm -hmm. to be more transformational, to to create more lasting change. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to really start with the right, by asking yourself the right questions. And as I mentioned in my book, Delusional Altruism, I have a whole chapter on 12 questions that I think all donors should be asking. And it includes things like, you know, why, like I mentioned before, but it also includes asking, does this bring me joy? Mm-hmm. And, you know, because I think that you should be experiencing joy as you give. And if you aren't, that something probably is is wrong and needs to be fixed. And so, you know, there's lots of lots of uh, questions in there that I would suggest that your listeners take a look at and, and ask themselves. Brilliant. And if people would like to get hold of you, how can they best do that? Yes. So they can go to delusionalaltruism.com. That is the website for the book and they can order the book there mm-hmm. on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all kinds of places. But also that is on my website. And so from there you can uh, find me. And as I mentioned before, my email is chris at putnam-consulting.com. Uh, and you can feel free to email me. And if I can be of any help, I'd be glad to. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you.